Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Plus Dave podcast, the Tottenham Hotspur theme show brought to you each week by a team of Spurs fans. This week, a team of Spurs fans that really don't know quite how to think anymore, and a Leeds fan called Dave, who has brought his popcorn and is just here to enjoy the ride. This week, we are unfortunately once again talking about Tottenham Hotspur and the absolute disaster class that they put on at St. James's Park against Newcastle, among with the similarly shambolic goings-on behind the scenes in the club. And I hope that I wasn't being too ambitious by saying listeners, and there are at least two of you listening today. So (laughs) there are four of us here today for your pleasure. And we are going to do our best to make heads or tails out of the absolute horror show that we are witnessing at all angles of Tottenham Hotspur at the moment. And joining me as always are two usual guests and an additional member who seems to be cursed to repeat coming onto the show only when we are facing absolute disasters and somehow is doomed to repeat over and over again horrible horrible days as a Spurs fan that sucks so welcome back to another episode I'll go to the others in a minute um are you a curse uh in the summer of 2021 I stayed up until four in the morning to watch the NBA finals to watch the Milwaukee Bucks against the Phoenix Suns I've been supporting the Bucks for a few years just because they've got a seven-foot Greek guy <laughs> that, well, given a Greek is the reason the I support The best player them. in the NBA. The best player in the NBA. Uh, tallest Greek man on earth, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or man, just full stop. When they won, it was about four or five in the morning, and I yeah. was genuinely met with a sense of shock because I had expected them to lose. Based on absolutely, I know very little about basketball, but what I had realized afterwards was that A, I didn't know how to celebrate winning a league title, <laughs> and B, the entire time, the entire campaign... I had projected my Spursiness onto them. It was the mentality I had adopted from supporting Spurs all my life that made me assume that they were going to lose the entire time. I don't think I'm the curse because I like them and they're winning mm. like a proper franchise, like a proper club should. I think the problem is Tottenham and I refuse to accept any blame for it whatsoever. The blame lays on my father for getting me into this mess. <laughs> I see you've given this some thought. <laughs> this is clearly an issue that's kept you up from that <laughs> night and you've given it a lot of thought to make sure that you're not, in fact, the reason that we're in this situation. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Elio, I'll come to you next. I suspect you probably know what the question I'm going to ask you is because it's the same question I've asked you for about the last three or four weeks. And once again, I suspect the answer will be yes. Was this the biggest disappointment of the season so far? It <laughs> <laughs> was a pregnant pause. Uh, <laughs> you know what the biggest disappointment for me was that we didn't at least have the kind of melancholy, dark humour, glory of conceding a Premier League record defeat because there would have been some kind of satisfaction in seeing us drubbed 15-0, which seemed like a distinct possibility after 20 minutes. The fact that even the fact that we didn't even get humiliated quite as badly as we could have felt Spursy to me. Um, You're a sick man. Yeah, uh, You're sick. I am a sick man. I mean, what can we talk about? We can talk about the ridiculousness of supporting Spurs, of being associated with Spurs, of continuing mm. to admit that you support Spurs. I just watched the second episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm and 
Larry David is a ridiculous human being, but not as ridiculous as Spurs and their story. I'm yeah. sat here with you guys, including our very own angel of death, Socrates. Um, and yet somehow <laughs> his being is not as terrifying as the idea that I'm going to continue to support Spurs despite all the warning signs against that I have been receiving repeatedly for the last 30 years. I'm taking years. a lot of unnecessary strays. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. It's three minutes and I feel worse than I did yesterday. <laughs> this is supposed to be catharsis. Not Is this yeah. because I said I was going to bully the children and now you just turned it on me a week later? <laughs> My aim is to delay actually talking about the football for as long as we can. I'm trying to take as long to actually start talking about the match as it took Newcastle to put five in against us. And we're already about halfway there. <laughs> Um, Elio, isn't Kerber Enthusiasm the show that's completely like unscripted and just made up on the spot as they go along? Because that feels quite appropriate based on what we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't even know. I don't expect too much that's comprehensible, coherence, or in any way logical for me today. So pretty much the usual. Well, we haven't heard a word from Dave yet. And by this point in the match, I think Spurs were 2-0 down. So Dave, welcome back to the show. Um, I mean, I've known Dave for 20 years and he's smiled more in the last seven minutes <laughs> that we've been recording this than I've seen him smile cumulatively for the previous 20 years of knowing him. So I think he's going to yeah. enjoy this Be somehow. honest, Dave, were you looking forward to this recording? recording you can say yes hello everyone um <laughs> you sound like alistair gold there look at the smile on his face he's so happy it's like michael howard hello there's a lot of teams in the premier league shambles off at the moment and spurs are doing really well really well i'm in awe at how uh at how shambolic it all looks right now for you guys chelsea look like a well-run club right now yeah it's crazy yeah you are actually making some ridiculous situations and ridiculous choices look mm. fairly sensible but you know you could turn it around <laughs> that's a bad dave come on no one wants to hear that okay come on we're here to to revel in, in the pain oh, and the heartbreak well let's try and maintain some sense of structure here and at least outline the things that we have to talk about we have to talk about can't believe we even haven't even said it yet the 6-1 defeat to newcastle uh, and the fact that we were five nil down inside of 20 minutes which is outrageous by any standard we also have to talk about the goings on behind the scenes so of course um anyone remember fabio paratici he was involved with our club a little <laughs> while ago. Uh, he's gone. Um, that's that's technically old news, news, but it's old also news. old news, so we can move pretty quickly past it. Um, and of course, we have, and it's lucky that we're recording today and not yesterday, because there have been significant developments in the acting manager, which is a, a very appropriate way of describing what he was. Christian Stellini has left the club, and Brian Mason is now in charge officially going forward. And we had a slightly unorthodox, strange club statement from, well, from Daniel, apparently, as it was addressed, which I think I'm just going to read the whole thing very quickly. So Sunday's performance against Newcastle was wholly unacceptable. It was devastating to see. We can look at many reasons why it happened. And whilst myself, the board, the coaches and players must all take collective responsibility, ultimately, the responsibility is mine. That's Daniel Levy speaking. Christian will leave his current role along with his coaching staff. Christian stepped in at a difficult point in our season. And I want to thank him for the professional manner in which he and his coaching staff have conducted themselves during such a challenging time. We wish him and his staff well. Ryan Mason will take over head coach duties with immediate effect. Ryan knows the club and the players well. We shall update further on his coaching staff in due course. I met with the player committee today. The squad is determined to pull together to ensure the strongest possible finish to the season. We are all clear we need to deliver performances which will earn your amazing support. Come on, you Spurs, Daniel. 
that took a lot longer to read than I expected, so I apologize for that. But um, any thoughts on that address from our glorious leader? I mean, everything he says press-wise, I believe, is written for him by Donna yeah. Cullen. You'd think he'd have realized by now that Donna Cullen is a moron and found <laughs> someone else to do a better job. This is less tone deaf than many other statements he's released over the years where he's talked about not needing to spend big to compete and FFP will be our savior and whatever other rubbish he comes out with to excuse himself from doing what clubs need to do to win things. This, whether he wrote it or not, whether Donna wrote it or not, whoever wrote it, the fact that he acknowledged the buck stopped with him was good to see. I'm not trying to give him credit here. I'm just trying to make sure that I don't hammer a statement that doesn't need to be hammered because there's a lot of things for us to hammer at the moment. And yeah, acknowledging that, well, had he not, it would have been PR suicide Mm. based on, well, a six-second scroll down Twitter. The statement will have been received with derision anyway, but even more so. I like that he did actually acknowledge that Christian Sinini did come into a difficult job and actually did speak warmly about him because this isn't Christian Stellini's fault. This isn't Ryan Mason's fault. This is many other more important people at the club's fault uh, over the space of a long period of time, including obviously some managers like Mourinho and Conte, but also overarchingly, including Daniel Levy and his board. So I appreciate him speaking warmly about Stellini. It's also a stark contrast with the farewell that Conte got. So Uh, read into that what you will. I think the main thing I'll read into the statement is that they are writing off maybe even European football altogether, but definitely Champions League football, which it's an almost impossibility anyway now, because otherwise they would have gone and got an experienced manager for the final few games. So I think all I can see there is that they're ripping up the page and starting from scratch now. Hopefully, with yet another opportunity to start from scratch, and this board has had many, they, I don't care if it's by design or fluke, but hopefully they do manage to stumble onto something that brings us a bit of pleasure next season. Because, as you know, I'm tired. You're tired. Socks is perennially tired. Even Dave's tired, and he's t- supposedly not a Spurs fan. We're all tired of this, so... So let's just hope that they blindly throw a dart and hit the bullseye as a result of this humiliation because this isn't what we're meant to be as a club. We're meant to be a club with glory and flair and style and beautiful memories etched into our scripture. And right now we're just a laughing stock and it's painful. It's genuinely painful as a fan. Yeah. Uh, while you're talking there, Elio, Jacob Murphy has made it 3-0 if we're going by the minute-by-minute comparison to <laughs> the podcast. Um, let's talk about the game, shall we? We're dancing around it. Let's talk about the game. We can come back to some of the off-field stuff in a bit. because I, I wanted to interject on yeah. the statement, actually, because there are bits... Uh, sorry to... I know you want to move on, but there are a couple of bits no, no, I disagree with. Because... You, you can get us there before 5-0 and you can do it. Come on. <laughs> well, to me, the statement read like, it was like, hi, guys, uh, my name's Daniel. You might have heard of me. Uh, do you see the burning <laughs> mess that I've left at the club over the last few months? Um, I'd like to take responsibility by sacking somebody else. That's how the <laughs> statement read to me. I think him putting the thing about it's uh, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but that's not what the definition of taking responsibility means you don't throw somebody <laughs> else under the bus and the thing that annoyed me even the more was the bit that he put coys at the end i can imagine him in yeah, a room with I'm donna a fan, guys. like 
how yeah. how would the kids like us? It's like the whole Stevie yeah. show me. How do you do, fellow kids? It's like, oh, maybe yeah. if I throw coys in there, because I can't say the Y word, I'll just mention coys. That's a word you yeah. say, right? Coys. I'm surprised you didn't add an extra paragraph in there that said, oh, when I was growing up as a kid, my favorite plays were Glenn Hoodle and Gary Maboot. Like, that's the only thing that was missing from that bloody thing. See, Honestly. I think, and you know full well that in recent times, I've very much embraced your antipathy towards our dear leader. I think, <laughs> though, that there's a little bit of harshness in what you say there. He is just genuinely and always has been a very socially and media awkward human being we saw this yeah. on the all or nothing documentary daniel levy was not meant for public perception he is he is Gollum. he is he is <laughs> just one. not by design someone who should be in the public eye he should be in a very small dark room far away from any human interaction <laughs> whatsoever sending out memos all day long so his precious profits when he speaks it will come across like that. And I don't think he was throwing Stellini under the bus. I think he was sacking him because he was literally left with no choice after what happened yesterday. There was no right move after what happened yesterday. There were very many wrong moves. And this was the least wrong, basically, yeah. getting rid of the guy because it's the only thing he could do to show that he was taking any kind of action whatsoever. What's the point in him stepping down from his position, for instance? Not that he's going to step down in the summer, I know he won't, but what's the point of Daniel Levy, when it will have no impact whatsoever on anything, stepping down with six months left to go? Is that going to G the players up, the chairman <laughs> stepping off his pedestal with <laughs> me up. games left to go? No, it'll cheer you up, but Daniel Levy doesn't care about cheering you up. And that um, is the problem. <laughs> that, yes, maybe that is the problem, but... If what you want him to do is take responsibility in the form of falling his own sword as a 39% shareholder in the club or whatever he is, then he's just not going to do that. The closest thing he can do that is try and respond to what the entire fan base was demanding happened, do it, and make a statement saying this guy never had a chance and this was largely my fault which i think is what he did mm. and if you're not careful we're going to get branded as enix sympathizers and we're going to get accused of taking freebies from the club and being paid off by levy because that's how it works these days on social media isn't it if we're not completely 100 against them then we're the enemy someone doctored this this club statement on twitter and just rewrote it dear all i've probably this haven't i anyway coys daniel which was very funny. <laughs> um, moving on, as, as I was trying to do, we're, we're about two minutes away from Isaac scoring the fourth at the moment. Um, Dave, I want to come to you because I'm really curious to know how you felt watching that because it was, I mean, it was obviously uncomfortable watching from our perspective, but the first thing I thought of when I was watching this game, well, not the first thing, but one of the things I couldn't get out of my mind was the Brazil-Germany semi-final in mm -hmm. that World Cup, right? It was eerily reminiscent of that. And I didn't really have a dog in the fight that day. I kind of wanted Brazil to win whatever, but I wasn't you know, a fan. And it, it was uncomfortable watching. I felt really awkward watching. It was like some snuff movie. I was like, this isn't fair. They need to stop the fight. The ref needs to stop this. This is like grown men being humiliated beyond belief on the grandest stage. And it was uncomfortable. I felt like I shouldn't continue watching. Was there any of that for you watching this game? Or did you just love it and get the popcorn out and enjoy the drama and the horror of it all? No, it was great fun. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I remember, I do remember the World Cup semi-final, yeah. uh, and I got the same Simpsons scene in my head 
uh, <laughs> as I had when I was watching that, which was the Hamburglar or whatever the equivalent was, Christy yeah. Burglar. Stop it. Stop it. He's already dead. He's already dead. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it really was that. And it felt really, I said, wow, just about 50 times. And uh, so much so that <laughs> Harry, my seven-year-old son, came in from the other room and said, Daddy, why are you saying wow so much? I said, look, it's more. <laughs> and he said, wow. Yeah. So said, yeah. <laughs> five nil, five nil to Newcastle. I said, look at the time. And he went, wow. Yeah. It's only 20 minutes gone. <laughs> I said, what do you think the score's going to be, Harry? And he went, I don't know, 50? Yeah. I said, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it was on course for it, wasn't it, at one point? That's the thing. That's where your mind goes. You're just thinking, how many could this be? And it's just, I mean, they, they eased off in the end. I, I, I mean, I say they eased off. We'll get on to what happened as the game went on. But I asked the question on you know, WhatsApp chat, and this was at 5 0. Bear in mind, this is 20 minutes in. And I said, I said to you guys, seriously, serious question here. Would you take 8 0 now? Uh, Sox, you, you, I love draw reply. You came back as the fact that you're asking this at 25 minutes in and it's not even a ridiculous question is literally unbelievable. And I put the vote out on Twitter uh, on a poll and 68% of our followers said, yes, give me 8-0 now. And, and that is just, it, it's ridiculous. Elio, I know you wouldn't have taken 8-0 because you wanted 10. Um, but at that moment, <laughs> what, was going, what was going through your mind? What do you think was going to happen in that game? Did you seriously think that we were about to go double figures? I... I thought there was a real possibility and honestly, much as I'm against the five-man backline for us, much as I do think that there's no such thing as just a wing-back or just a football or whatever, players at the top level should be able to learn more than one role. I think had we not gone back to the back five, it's quite possibly could have been Davinson Sanchez (laughs) saved us. That's the irony Um, of this whole thing, isn't it? And you know what, by the way, huge credit to Davinson Sanchez who got treated like absolute crap was being ridiculed and booed mercilessly for a mistake made by another player just a week previously and had to be subbed off, having been subbed on, coming on and actually putting in a manful performance in really horrible circumstances. So credit to him. He's the one Spurs player that came out of that with, well, I guess Harry as well, came out with any credit from that game. But yeah, he's the only reason it wasn't double figures, in my opinion. I don't think it was necessarily Newcastle taking their foot of the gas. The goal difference for them might be the difference between third and fifth, depending on how Aston Villa do. So I think Newcastle would have gleefully taken it on, but wasn't to be for them, sadly for them, I guess. What was I thinking, though? What was I thinking? I was thinking... God, I'm glad that I've got rid of my tickets for the Manchester oh, United have? home game on was, Thursday and I won't be getting home. Out gone one that. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those have gone to my sister and her Manchester United supporting boyfriend. I, that decision was made before the Newcastle game, but there, there was absolutely no way I could justify investing that level of sleep deprivation, bad weather and money to... Yeah support this club with absolutely nothing to play for on this form on a game that was on TV. So got rid of the tickets and you know what? Mm. I am so happy that I'm not going to be part of what is probably going to be the most toxic atmosphere ever heard inside a Spurs stadium in a few days time because I don't want to be part of that Spurs fan base but equally I can't find a good reason for the Spurs fan base to not be like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm really curious to see what the atmosphere ends up being like and what it is like. There's part of me that's disappointed you're not going to be there, Radio, because I'd love to hear your report back, but I'm sure we'll hear from plenty of accounts. First things first, it's now 5-0. 
So, so that's that. Um, Socks, I want to ask you something because we'll get into the nitty gritty of the tactics and everything and why we fell apart so badly and the back four, the back five switch and all of that stuff in, in due course. But I've got a tweet here from Seb Stafford Bloor from the TIFO podcast, who is a Spurs fan. He says, this isn't tactics or team selection. It's what happens when you give footballers an excuse not to show up. What do you say to that? It feels like the feelings that we've been expressing on the podcast are kind of shared by the players. It was the same level of apathy. It's it's like when Pochettino used to talk about the universal Mm. energy, it sort of felt similar to that. I likened it to, I I worked at a business once where it was failing for the last six to 10 months and everybody knew that it was, but nobody could really speak about it. And it was clearly a sinking ship. And I used to look up at people I admired who were directors. I was in a middle management role at the time and people who I really respected and even they down tools. And it all kind of ultimately filters through from the top. The expectations have to be set by the CEO. In, in footballing terms, it has to start from the person at the very top. So Levy or Joe Lewis or whoever, the coach, whomever it is. I mean, let's just take a step back and look at what's happened this season. We've had Antonio Conte and obviously we know he's had a difficult personal period and what have you. We knew he was probably leaving in January. I mean, I think it, by all accounts, the club did knew, but decided to keep on with him mm-hmm. anyway. I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, it was the wrong decision. But a lot of people were saying at the time, we should have got rid of him. We backed him with a 50 million euro right wing back anyway. Obviously, the performances have been faltering. We've been knocked out of competitions left, right and centre. You then unbelievably unorthodoxly sack him to replace him with the btechwish.com version (laughs) of him, which is essentially the same thing. I've never seen a football club do that, only for us to end up in the position we're in now. And I know we'll discuss it where we've just sacked him to put Ryan Mason in charge. Yeah. And if you'll give me two seconds, my headphone's falling out. (laughs) That's 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 how animated he is. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, when you look at it with that context, are are we expecting the players to get up Mm -hmm. and go, all right, we go again, lad. We look at it and we say, there's nothing to believe in. There isn't a project to believe in. We don't think we're going to get to a fall. We don't want to go anywhere. I don't really buy this idea that just because the players are on a lot of money, they're yeah. supposed to believe the same thing. I think you're allowed to get essentially burnt out at work if the leadership is a bit off. And the leadership has been more than a bit off. And if you look at for the players who the likes of, say, Larice Kane's son, who have been there for more than 18 months, how many cycles have they gone through now? Don't forget, Larice was as far back as AVB. Yeah. Larice, about nine years ago, was performing in a home game at White Hart Lane where we got killed 5-0 to Liverpool at home for AVB to be sacked the next day. 5-0 is a good result. (laughs) For him to be be sacked the next game. Lloris, this is not his first rodeo. So Mm. for the most senior players on our team, whether it's Di, Kane, it is... I woke up this morning and there were all sorts of think pieces from Jack Pitbrook of The Athletic and Dan Kilpatrick at The Evening Standard and Alistair Gold of Football London. And they all basically amounted to the same thing, which was this was a game that was the result of effectively four years worth of incompetence. Mm. It almost transcended the match itself and it had very much that feeling. So to answer Seb's question or your question, I mean, yeah, this isn't, uh, oh, we played four at the back. I mean, Southampton are the worst team in this league. I know they've conceded nine a couple of seasons ago on a couple of different occasions, but how can you justify conceding six? The players aren't that bad. The tactics aren't that bad. It's something that is a bit more intangible, whether you want to call it emotional, like they're over a malaise. I think that if you're still listening to this and you've been watching Tottenham for any amount of time, you can smell it. You can feel it. I can't quite quantify it. I don't know what unit of measurement I should use, but I think the funk that we feel, the players feel too. And honestly, I don't blame them in the slightest. I I refuse to blame the players for this at all. I really, really don't. See, I have a slightly different take. So I don't blame the players for being uninspired and I definitely don't blame the players for feeling 
the apathy that we as fans feel. And I, I agree with you, actually. I don't want to say sort of, oh, he earns 100 grand a week, he earns 150 grand a week, therefore he has no right to be demotivated at work. However, when you and I are demotivated in a role, we're demotivated in a role whereby we're finishing that job, going home or closing our laptop and going to the other room. And we then have real life worries like the cost of living crisis, the way the war in Ukraine is going to affect energy prices, whether or not we should be doing a big shop for the month, this side of payday or the next side of payday, et cetera, et cetera. These guys are finishing their frustrating and demotivating day at work and haven't got a care in the world in terms of real life problems. I accept that these players, just like us, can suffer from things like depression and anxiety. I accept that they grieve and they hurt in the same way as any other human being, but they don't have to deal with the same trials and tribulations as we do. So when our job is shit, it is taking away an opportunity to immerse yourself in something that you're achieving something away from the drudgery of real life. When their job is shit, real life is fine and dandy. So I think that out of sheer reverence to the peasants, i.e. us, who enable them to have this lap of luxury, they should be able to summon up a bit more pride than they have displayed, not just yesterday, but for the past, well, six months. Yeah, It's not good enough. I think where I would push back is that this is something that I feel like every football fan has said at one point or another about footballers being overpaid and this, that, yeah. and the other. And it's like, it's not a, this isn't like a new conversation. I think the problem is I'm not even saying they're it's, overplayed. It's supply and demand. I have no problem with supply and demand. I'd much rather the millions and millions that are generated by Sky TV, by ticket prices, by f***ing 10 pound hot dogs go to the players and the board, quite yeah. frankly. So I, I don't have a problem with how much they're paid per se. I do when you compare it to teachers and nurses but as a general rule i'm not going to sit here and challenge the logic in keynesian economics what i am going to say is that our players do have a moral responsibility to the people suffering for their benefit. we're the ones suffering for their benefit, but instead they're the pharaohs and we're the slaves building their pyramids and if they on us from the top it doesn't matter it's not that i disagree with you you can't project normal person life onto people who haven't been exposed to normal person mm-hmm. life. I don't think it's a real ex- These people have been pampered, a lot of them, since they were five, six years old. They've never known anything other than ridiculous wealth. It's like somebody being born to like Kate Middleton or something. You're never going to know anything yeah. that isn't anything other than royalty. So I don't think we can look at it and go, they don't understand the daily mm-hmm. life of the plebs. They've never had the minimum wage job in a Tesco or an Asda or whatever. Yeah. As much as I agree with the sentiment, this is just how football is and yeah. we just have to kind of accept it. If we don't have to project onto them the drudgery of our lives if they don't understand that if that's a different world for them then equally they should be immune to the things that make us worse at work it can't be one or the other if we're going to accept that they are just existing in a higher plane than us then part of being on that higher plane is also not having our fallibilities either. They're not on a higher plane. They're on a higher plane. They're on a different plane. Who are we to know what their problems are? We, go, we don't know. That's the whole point. They're on a different plane. They're not on a higher plane. They're on a different plane. 
for everything we know, Levy could have convinced every single person in that Spurs squad to invest in Silicon Valley Bank four weeks ago. <laughs> it's a better businessman than that. Come on, let's give him credit where it is due. It's, it's a trade-off, though, isn't it? It's a give and take because for all the problems they don't have that they've never had to experience, like paying the bills and stuff like that, they have hundreds of thousands of people calling them useless pieces of shit every week on Twitter. And they see that. And we don't get that. I, I only get five or six people calling me a useless piece of shit. You didn't get it today, actually. Yeah. yeah, incidentally, <laughs> that's probably one of my worst days of getting roasted on social media. But but even that, it's like, okay, you can kind of laugh it off, but it's based off of a tweet about something that people are misunderstanding. That's very different. If this was my livelihood, if this was my job, if this was something that I spent my entire life working my hardest to be good at, and then everyone is just telling me, the people that matter are telling me, you're useless, you're rubbish, and all this, or worse, or, you know, racially abusing the Sanchez thing last week. I think, okay, maybe it goes a bit beyond hazard pay, but I think we need to factor that in a little bit as well to the whole equation. Are we done on that bit now? Anyway, those are shambles. We're done on, on <laughs> no that, one cares. On that <laughs> dilemma and that, that's philosophical aside. Yeah, Spurs are a shambles, Dave. You are absolutely correct in that. And let's get back onto it. Um, I want to talk about the football a little bit because there's a tweet that's been going around from Darren Lewis of the Mirror that's gained a lot of traction. And I, I suspect that most of you will have some strong words in response to it. Uh, people won't accept Conte is vindicated. But what he said was the same as Redknapp, Mourinho and Poch. Conte's boring tactics were because he knew Spurs' defence isn't good enough. People wanted him to open up, but today was the result. He'll be happy it isn't his problem anymore. Now, I certainly agree with that last sentence. No no doubt about that. (laughs) I guess going on the idea that we're now looking at a back four and we've been asking for a back four all season. We did a back four and this is what happened. Elio, do you think that that is a slight oversimplification, slightly reductive there from Darren Lewis? It is. It's complete straw man as far mm. as I'm concerned, and he should know better. I mean, I know he's Dave's mate, so I'm going to try and be uh, a little nice about him, but what a f***ing pleb to say that. He does know better. That's being a little nice. Okay. I mean, I haven't spoken <laughs> to him for about 15 years, but sure, we can classify him as my mate. On the Conte was saying what Redknapp said and what Pochettino said and Mourinho said on whoever else in their mother said, no. Conte wasn't doing the same as Redknapp and Pochettino. Redknapp was saying, I have achieved miracles on not much. I have made cheaply acquired young potential players into highly sellable global superstars. Back me. Pochettino was saying, I have achieved incredible things without Mm -hmm. much. I have turned cheaply acquired high potential players into global superstars. Back me. That's what Redknapp and Pochettino said. What Conte was saying was, I am Antonio Conte. Back me. Yeah. There is a complete difference. And this was why, and this is why I continue to not have sympathy with the plight of the, you know what, I'm not going to get myself into any more hot water with stereotypical troping uh, (laughs) than I have done recently. But Conte did not earn the right to complain. And I continue to not have sympathy with arguments. Yes, he was right about the majority of what he said, but he was not the man entitled to say it. Even Mourinho had more of a footing to say it as far as I'm concerned. Now, on the aspect of, look, he was right to play a back five because our defenders are rubbish and we switched to a back four and look what's happened. We didn't get drubbed just now. I know I just made the argument about Sanchez coming on and saving the day for us. We didn't get hammered just now because of our formation or our tactics. It wouldn't have mattered if Kane was playing left back, (laughs) Romero was playing up front, Hugo Lloris was on the right wing and we'd got Aaron Lennon out of retirement and Danny Rose out of the stands to play joint rush goalkeeper. That's not the reason we got drubbed like that. We got drubbed like that 
because the players yeah. have down tools. They down tools for Conte. Notes that, unlike for Mourinho, Pochettino, Conte did not get any heartfelt Instagram goodbye messages from Kane, Son and Hull. Right. We lost this because the players down tools quite a few months ago. And if they weren't playing for Conte, they weren't going to play for Conte's best mate either. Yep. That's why we got dropped. It was nothing to do with formation or personnel. Yeah, it's essentially what Seb Stafford Law was saying more or less in, uh, in slightly more words earlier, but uh, but nonetheless, still still excellent. <laughs> Dave, you've been, you're like a kid. Very patient. You're like a kid in class who knows the answer and he's like holding his hand up and holding his arm up with his other arm. Like, please pick me, pick me. I've never, I mean, obviously I was aware of some of the uh, press conferences that happened back in the day, but never anything that wasn't, you know, a sly remark here, a sly remark there that then the press read a lot into and started creating own narratives spinning off from it. The difference between Poch and Redknapp saying those things, yeah. which they never said, they just intimated towards, and the difference from what Conte said was, quite frankly, class. Mm. Yeah. Redknapp and Poch are classy. Conte is classless for what he said. And I think that's the big takeaway from that is the fact that, you know, maybe this is a classless guy saying what it is, or maybe this is just a classless guy. And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And I guess time will tell. You know, if, if Conte gets another job yeah. and wins everything, then we'll know. But yeah, the other point, you know, Darren. I mean, I, I worked with Darren for a, a little bit a long time ago. Say, so, I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Conte two hmm. versus Conte one. It would have been the same. I would have bet yeah. any money that this would have been yeah, the same he, result. He basically called them a bunch of useless, lazy players rather than useless, lazy bits of furniture like Pochettino had the good grace to do, right? So much better. Um, Bottom line, yeah. Dags, I'm, I'm from the outside looking in. No, I don't I'm, remember that. I am joking. No, you, you're absolutely right. Po- Maybe Pochettino, you guys do way- because it was really important, but I do not remember that. I only remember, I only remember Poch being relatively sly, but at the same time, with an element of respect. And it was. And the thing is, Pochettino, by the time his fifth season had come around, he had just got us to a Champions League final off the back of a summer where we didn't buy one player. Mm. I think it was three consecutive transfer windows, January, summer, and then the next January as well, where not one player was signed or something like that. So Pochettino got us to the Champions League final off the back of that. That is incredible, Mm. having already built us up with players that until he came along, we didn't think too much of Danny Rose, journeyman left back, Carl Walker, brain farty right back, Vertonghen, a guy that looked like he was very classy but couldn't defend for the life of him. Um, Dembele, we didn't even really know whether we should be playing him up front in attacking midfield or central midfield. And he didn't even really play in Pochettino's first season and Pochettino made him the best midfielder in the league pretty much. So Pochettino turned water into wine didn't get backed in a transfer window with even one player, even a youth player, even a free transfer, and got us to a Champions League final. And in the meantime, had the biggest club in the country, Manchester United, batting their eyelids at him as well. So he knew his worth when he mm-hmm. made the comments that he made as well. He was like, I'm staying here instead of going to Manchester United. Please give me a reason to yeah. after what I've done for you. Complete difference between you. And in the meantime, Harry Redknapp, was in the middle of a title challenge, three points off the top with a game in hand. And what did he get in that January transfer window? Ryan Nelson and Louis Sahar. <laughs> yeah. Totally different situations. Mm. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Just going back to the points about the system though, and the back four, I'm, I'm curious to get everyone's thoughts on that going forward. And I know it, it kind of is relevant until we have a new manager, we know what sort of system we're going to play, but I think it's fair to say that's not the best representation of Spurs with a back four right now, is it? I mean, even setting aside all of the off-the-field issues and everything. So would you say it's fair to say that in that back four that started the game, there was probably only one player, and even that's questionable, in Romero, who's really comfortable and experienced at playing his respective role in that back line? Pretty much. And the only time Romero's ever really played in a back four is for Argentina. If you look at before where we signed him from Atalanta, under Gasparini, they played consistently in the back three, back five. So if he's the most experienced one that we've got and he only does it a couple of times every few months for Argentina, then again, it speaks volumes. I'm not reading too much into it just because we obviously just had a chat about the problems being something that were more this sort of intangible emotional thing as opposed to 4-3-3, or whatever else. But if we're looking at it more long-term, I mean, presumably with Mason now in charge, the last time he coached us for six games, it was a 4-2-3-1, albeit a different set of players a couple of years ago. If he does revert back to a 4-2-3-1, in terms of the players' fit, we don't really have an adept right back for it without Emerson because Paro is clearly an attacking wing back defensively. I think it's fair to say, I don't want to judge him too harshly because it's a unique set of circumstances, but we signed him knowing he was more mm. of an attacking wing back anyway. And defensively, he does look liable to making an error almost every game at the moment. Davis, in theory, if he's back, because I think he was on the bench against Newcastle yesterday, could slot in as the left back because he's more of a natural fit than Perisic. And then at the moment, the centre-backs is just a case of just a bit of a pick and mix. It's the best of a bad bunch. So I'm not reading too much into it. I think obviously the season from now to the end is pretty much a write-off. I think it's more about looking forward because if you look at us from the back now, we've got, I think, five left-backs and three right-backs We've not got a single number 10 and we've not got a single left centre back, but we've got eight <laughs> full backs. And across all those, you've got some that are left wing backs, you've got some that are left backs, you've got some that are right wing backs, you've got some that are right backs. I mean, on the right alone, you've yeah. got Emerson, who's a defensive right back, Porro, who's an attacking wing back, and you've got Spence. I don't know what he is because I've never seen him play. On the left hand side, you've got yeah. Davis because he's, he's a defensive left back, Regbion, who's an offensive left back. Sessegnon and Perisic who are offensive wingbacks mm. and Udogi coming yeah. in is also an offensive wingback. Just, that's just the fullbacks for Christ's sake. They cost, I think, 150 million yeah. between them. I mean, I'm, yeah. and no goalkeepers either. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I'm less concerned about, oh, uh, was it a good representation of the back four? I mean, it doesn't really matter. When you lose 6-1, it's not a good representation of anything really. Yeah. But that, up- that's what I was getting towards. I, I meant longer term as in looking at the squad. Do we have the players to play a back four or are there going to have to be wholesale big changes in the squad? That's essentially what I was leading towards. This is the problem you have now because when you bring a coach in, I mean, I touched upon it a few minutes ago. You signed or we signed rather a 50 million attacking right wing back in Pedro Porro to play for Conte, even though Conte was gone. Even if Porro ends up being like the next Cafu or something, what happens if you bring somebody in and they want to play a back four? Do you immediately go, well, we spent 50 million euros on this guy. He's only been here literally since January the 30th or something. Off he goes. I mean, mm. it, it, it's uh, this is the result of constantly sacking managers and constantly changing systems and then not selling some of the older players. You just have a mass. It's not even about the players being good or bad. It's about them just being completely different. So we need to have almost a Nottingham mm. Forest style window where we go completely cutthroat. If it needs to be 15 in or out, and I know that's completely unrealistic. I mean, uh, the problem is yeah. it, it, realistically, you really do a handful at a time, which means that what should be a one, two, three year project coming up at Tottenham may have to be more four, five, six, because we just have so much crap at the moment. And that's not including the players that are coming back. So Lasalto and Dombele Winks. Lasalto and Dombele Winks, Rodon. Mm. It seems a bit premature to start talking about the new coach because we've got no idea who it's going to be. But 
I think the only thing I can think of is that I hope whoever it is is adaptable and then doesn't have like Conte a very rigid three four three or will only play a four two three one because as Levy out as mm. I am. I don't think it's feasible or realistic to expect him to write off hundreds of millions of pounds worth of investment. I can make a case and say yeah. we never should have signed these players like someone like Poro if we knew Conte was going, but we have and they're here and there's no point crying over spilt milk. We can't write some of these off. Some of them, the new manager is going to have to integrate. So with that in mind, what I'm looking to see from the board is whoever the next coach is, make sure they're not wedded to a specific system for the love of God. Someone like Nagelsmann, mm. he's played 4-4-2, he's played 4-2-3-1, he's played 3-4-3, he's played with almost like two at the back and then like a three he's played or someone like him it doesn't have to be him yeah but that kind of a manager so we're not going to have to have the forest type summer yeah but let's see when you decide who the right man for the job is or the right men for the job let's say they identify three or four people who are good fits for the role regardless of reputation or anything like that when you're speaking to each of them you say this is the squad we have including the ones returning from loan we're obviously going to invest in the squads plus what we make from sales however there are some big long contracts here and big losses to take on certain players if they do go. So you need to identify 18-19 of this collection of, I don't know, 27, 28, 29 players of whatever it has. 18-19 that you are happy for us to have this season and you to utilize in whatever system it is you choose. And then give us a list of the four or five players or positions you want us to target on top of that. And then the rest of those players that didn't make that 19, let's just say for argument's sake, Winks, Lacelso, and Dombalay, Longley. All right, he's going to have his loan end anyway. Um, Brian Hill and Joe Rhodes on, so mainly loan players there, but also Emerson, for instance, and Eric Dyer. Let's take someone who is a big fish in the club, whatever. We'll get rid of them for you and replace them with players you want. That's what you have to do. It has to be someone that buys into what's already there and is willing to work in that constraint and then replace the outgoings with hopefully better incomings. Mm -hmm. If they don't do that, then we're screwed for minute one. Your opportunity is gone because he's managing Uruguay now. You you just took my segue um, from me, Dave. I was about to take it over to you via Bielsa. You should absolutely (laughs) see if Bielsa will do an analysis on your team and your squad in the same way that he did an analysis on the lead squad before he got the job. Bearing in mind, you know, Calvin Phillips was a going nowhere attacking midfielder who we kind of hope we'd just get, you know, 750 grand for so that we can get a bit of cash for him and get him off the books. And now he's a 50 million pound player. He doesn't play for Man City. He had that ability to analyze in detail the team, analyze in detail the squad and come up with the solution. Now, I'm not not saying Bielsa's one person who can do that, but that's essentially (laughs) what you need to do. And this is the difficulty because this is probably where you've been and where you failed and where you then tried to move away from. And now we're talking about potentially going back there. You need to rethink about what the, I don't want to say Spurs DNA, but you know what I mean when I say that, what that is and then what you're trying to achieve. And then you do a Mm. full analysis of the squad that you've got. I'm almost certain you wouldn't need to spend a lot of money to come up with an actual team who could play football really well in the Premier mm. League because they're all there. It's just you need someone, A, 
to decide what the direction is you're heading and then B, hire the coach that understands the direction where you're heading and then their two will work together. That is not rocket science. Look at Aston Villa. You know, they made a mistake. They've corrected Mm. the mistake. They're nearly in Europe and they've got a really good manager, a manager that, you know, everybody should be looking at, you know, just in case he doesn't have any loyalty and and he would jump because he's a good manager and there's a lot more of them out there but for some reason, they're not as exciting and not as glamorous as the quick fix. 12 months down right. the line, I can't believe we hired that guy, manager, because I don't know. It's just a yeah. fickle world of football that makes people think that why go for a project that might oh, take three years when you could go for <laughs> Mourinho will take six months. Or... I was with you right up until you mentioned Mourinho, Dave. Now I'm joking. Well, but really good job I'm totally on board with you. Uh, he is. He certainly is. And it's not going to notice by some of our fans, sadly. Um, I really agree with all of that. And I think that's what a good coach does, right? It gets the best out of the players and it finds hidden skill sets that they didn't know they had. I mean, you only have to look at Newcastle. We just played. Look at Joe Linton and how he's been reinvented as an example that comes right to mind. Ironically, I think we were all praising Conte when we signed him for his history of having converted players to being wingbacks, which we didn't really see a huge amount of, which is disappointing. But I think there's no rule that says we have to play the players we have now in the positions they're familiar in. I think a good coach finds a way to implement them into the team in a way that will be effective. And sure, I'm not going to say don't sign anybody, but I don't think we need to worry necessarily about not having the perfect players to fit any perfect system. Guardiola is doing a great job moving people around in his team and Trent Alexander-Arnold just found a new role in Liverpool after all these years. So yeah, that's not what worries me. I guess what worries me more, and I want to get your opinion on this actually, Dave, is who wants to manage Spurs now? And more specifically, does that result, does that performance, not to mention everything that's going on in the background, does that make the proposition of managing Spurs less or more appealing. If you're a manager, are you looking at that thinking, wow, the bar is set so low, anything I do is going to be a step in the right direction with this bunch of players? Or is it shining a light on the deficiencies and thinking, God, this is a mess. I don't want to go anywhere near that club. Well, you could argue that that actually gives the incoming manager the bargaining chip that he needs to actually be able to get a bit more creative control over what is actually going to be happening. I know we don't want to talk about this. I'm sure you guys don't want to talk about this, but there's a story going around at the moment that Chelsea are on advanced negotiations with Poch and Poch apparently initially said hells to the no to Chelsea because it's a big bag of cats. But they're at breaking point, they're at crisis point. So they've conceded a lot of things, which gives Pochettino a bit more say yeah. in, in what's going to happen at the club. That's where Spurs are right now. Like it or not, you guys are desperate. And ultimately, I don't think, like we've talked about in previous podcasts, I don't think you're a club that will, and to an equal extent, probably a fan base that will accept somebody that you maybe haven't heard of, or you know, maybe a large yeah. percentage of the fan base haven't heard of, who doesn't start all guns blazing. And that's why I think we talked about it a few podcasts ago that, that you're not in the same place that you were when Potts joined, where he wasn't a, a super slow burner, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a super fast burner. I think it's going to be an incredible achievement from a boy yeah. who's an absolute <laughs> show right now to find that balance of a manager that the fans will agree with and not go crazy if you lose two of the first three, a manager that the board think is a big enough name for Spurs because they've got an ego and they've got a, they've got a yeah. panda to their own egos. And the most important point, which I mentioned earlier, someone who agrees in the direction of travel that the club wants to go in. All of those three things have to go right. There's not many names. Mm. There's not many names at there all. There aren't. I think the point about a manager who the board think is big enough for their ego is something that 
if the board are doing this properly, and I fully accept that they may not be, but if they're doing this properly, mm. they should be disregarding from a pure football perspective. I can give a flying f- about investors from China or wherever else. They should be disregarding that and just focusing on the best man for the footballing side. Equally, they should be disregarding, to an extent, who fans think would be the right man for it. Because to tell you the truth, if me and you and Socks and Dagus and all the wankers on Twitter, which is everyone on Twitter, <laughs> knew anything, then why aren't we doing it? Why aren't we owning football clubs? Why aren't we hiring yeah. managers? So that should be disregarded too. Mm. The only valid point of the three... No, all your points were valid in terms of what the boards need to do to get the man that has the best chance of success. But the only thing that should actually matter from a purist point of view, and speaking as a Spurs fan who really, all I care about at this point is identifying with my football club again. Mm. The only thing that should matter is someone who wants to swim the same direction as them. Because ultimately, if the manager does swim the same direction as them, then it doesn't matter if he loses the first couple of games and the fans go bananas. The board and the manager in place will have a plan together and be able to wade through that, just like Arsenal did with Arteta. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter if it's not a hugely successful celebrated name, if it's someone that has a synergy with what they're trying to achieve and is actually a good manager, obviously, because once again, they'll be able to wade through the uncomfortable times to get success like Arsenal have with Arteta. And I hate saying that I want us to follow Arsenal's model, but that is the perfect model for us to follow (laughs) right now. They took a guy whose only experience was the Manchester City youth as a manager, who took three years, was it, to actually put together a good Arsenal side capable of doing what Arsenal need to do in this league. And this season, they've been challenging for the title. They'll probably end up second, but they'll have had a great season. And they've got their trophy of finishing above Spurs for the first time in six years, which I know they'll be dancing <laughs> naked through the streets all summer about. So yeah, yeah what, a trophy. Um, what a trophy. So I really don't want the board to take anything else into consideration other than is this person going to work within our constraints? Yeah. And if the answer to that is no, then it doesn't matter what the answer to the other two questions are. And that's why Pochettino was a roaring success, by the way, because Pochettino knew what he was signing up for, was happy with what he was signing up for. And until he began to feel a little bit butthurt about the fact that no matter what he did, the goalposts weren't widening for him. He did a fabulous job with it. He knew he was signing up to work with Danny Rose and Carl Walker, not Jao Cancelo and Marcello. And he embraced it. We need a new manager to come and embrace working with Udogi and Jed Spence and Pedro Porro and Dejan Kulusevski and also maybe Oliver Skip and Pape Matisar and Joe Rodon. That's what we need. Joe Rodin is actually 26. I'm not sure why I'm grouping him in that company. It's because he's played three times for us in <laughs> Jesse Lingard four syndrome, years. But... <laughs> oh, yeah, quite. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you look at you know Brighton and think how many Brighton fans, if they're being honest, had even heard of Roberto's De Zerbi before he came in and took over from them. How many Newcastle fans would have been happy hearing rumours of Eddie Howe being their new manager when they had all this money and they were being linked with everybody? It doesn't always work out, of course, but I totally agree. It's got to be the right person for a job and to hell with what we all think because we're going to complain one way or another, aren't we? Um, so, so I'll get your 
thoughts on Ryan Mason, really? Because obviously we've seen a few glimpses of him, and it's not that relevant, so don't spend too much time on this. But to ask it a different way, if you were Ryan Mason in this position, knowing that you've only got a few games, knowing that it can't get much worse... How do you approach this? Do you change the system? Do you stick with a back four? Do you just bring in some youth players because what the hell, why not? Or do you try and play it safe? What, what would you be doing if you're in his shoes? And what do you think he will actually do? I mean, it's difficult to say because he hasn't really got any target given that the season is lost. Realistically, you're not going to implement a new method of anything to the players with six games to go. So it's not as if he can go through whatever the normal routine a coach would go through. It's like, all right, we start with the basics. We'll have a few training sessions on just building out from the back or any of this sort of stuff. So I feel sorry for him. I mean, if he wasn't a Spurs man, he wouldn't have taken the job. Last time he did the job, I think he had a similar amount mm. of games left, if I'm not mistaken. And he went to, uh, I think we were playing a back four at the time anyway, but we went to a 4-2-3-1. And it was, I say reminiscent of Poch. There's a huge caveat to that being obviously much worse, but for obvious reasons, there's not a criticism of him. But we tried to play in a similar way. We yeah. tried to build out from the back. We tried to high press with the team that we had at the time. The most obvious thing to think would be we tried to do the same thing. And given that there's no pressure, I think part of it will be whatever basic or tactical changes he can make combined with a Harry Redknapp arm around the shoulder type of management. Because what the players need right now is a bit yeah. of a pick-me-up. We're not going to get to a four this season and we're not going to get anything else. But it's ridiculous that this is the minimum expectation. But we, at the very least, should stem the bleeding. We're going to go away to Anfield and we're probably yeah. going to lose. And we're going to go away to Villa Park and we're probably going to lose. And if Leeds still having something to play for for the final day, we're going to go to Ellen Road and lose. And at the very least, it'll make Dave happy, if nothing else. But that doesn't mean these need to be four, five, six nils. Let's make them respectable defeats. Against Man United on Thursday night, I think we've got them. Let's make it a respectable performance. Nobody's really expecting anything. So stem the bleeding. Yeah. Stem the bleeding would be, if I was the yeah. chairman and I was talking to it, would be like, just anything less than five. Five goals are under, and that's that's the goal. <laughs> well, we've just conceded nine goals across two Premier League matches for the first time since the final two games of the 2002-03 season, which you might remember as the time people started throwing their season tickets onto the pitch against Blackburn all those years ago. So uh, we're, God, we're breaking records left, right, and centre. A <laughs> um, couple of other statistics that I like. Sadly, we're not going to get trophies for. This one made me laugh from Paul O'Keefe. Um, Beyonce will play more times at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium than Stalin will have his manager that's a good one <laughs> um, one thing I've seen doing the rounds on Twitter and this always comes up when there's a terrible result people suggesting that Spurs should refund travelling fans for going up to that game and bear in mind this is a five six hour drive up to Newcastle Dave what do you think of, of that generally uh, again I'm, I'm clutching at straws for content here but just because it's a talking point do you think there's ever a scenario that warrants justifies a club saying alright fans we were that bad here's your money back not that we're ever going to do it of course but is there a line? I'm fascinated to know if that's ever happened because I know I I've heard it, has. It, I've heard it say mm. it, it say it's happened, but I mean, I would guess it's worse press than is yeah. worth the worth the money that it costs. But it always makes me think of um, went to see Fulham. This is when I lived next to Craven Cottage and moonlighted as a as a Fulham fan. Went to Sunderland to the Stadium Light. Stayed with a friend up there and watched Sunderland won. Fulham won. It was awful. It was Roy Keane Sunderland against uh, oh Laurie Sanchez's Fulham. It was bleak. But obviously, we didn't get any money back. But I can imagine uh, like one of those games where we're going to give the away, well, the, the away fans their money back because it was a terrible performance. And there was like six 
follow that. <laughs> oh, yeah. very generous of you. Exactly, um, yeah. How many Spurs fans were there? Do we know? Well, most of them left after 20 minutes. So would you like pro rata the refund? Yeah, it's got to be, it's gotta be across the, the entire yeah. 93 exactly. minutes. If you stay to the end, then you deserve your, your refund. I've just Googled it. And yeah. in 2014, Sunderland went all the way down to Southampton, which is probably the longest trip that anybody yeah. can do still within England. And they lost 8-0. The fans got <laughs> refunded, twenty four quid, which was the cost of the ticket. Between them, but the cost them. of the but the cost of the travel would have been at least double that. So it was yeah, almost yeah. an insult at that point. Yeah, exactly. yeah it's, an, it's, an, yeah. it's an empty gesture ultimately, yeah. isn't it? And it's probably a little bit of a PR win for teams that need a little bit of a PR win at that time. Yeah, I, I think. I, I mean, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me at all if Levy had have tagged that onto his wonderful heartfelt message today. To be honest. <laughs> You imagine though the precedent that would set though, because that's dangerous. Because you you think you've reached a new low, and you think there's no way it'll get worse than this. We can do that. Imagine if after that the Arsenal game or even the Bournemouth game, they feel like, all right, we'll refund you. We'd be sitting here thinking, okay, we'll have another four or five refunds, please, because they were way worse than that. Uh, no, um, silly conversation, of course, but it's, it's always worth taking random tangents on. Right. I'm just seeing if I've got any more bizarre stats to tag on the end before we start thinking about wrapping up this episode. I do have a few little bits to, to go into. We have, in the course of 70 or so episodes, finally realized that there is absolutely no point previewing our next game because we have no idea what's going to happen with Spurs at the moment. As much as <laughs> we'd love to sit here and break down Man United, who of course have just made it into the FA Cup final, and how we might go about beating them, it feels completely futile and, and frankly quite silly to preview games. But what I will say is that having conceded nine goals in the last two games, it would take a brave man to bet against us doing the same in the following two games because... The fixture list looks pretty bleak, doesn't it, going into the rest of the season. Do you give us any hope in hell in the next three games, any of you, of getting anything? So Manchester United, Liverpool no. and Aston Villa, is it, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Zero points is very likely, let's put it that way. You'll beat Man United. No, we won't, Dave. I will I say, Man United haven't won an away game against not just the top six team, but I think any half-decent top-table team all season. So. If we are likely to get a point out of any of those, it will come there. But I can't say I'm particularly optimistic. We played Liverpool uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, it was whilst actually it was last week, wasn't it? I tried to erase it from my memory. To be honest, I dodged out of the podcast to watch that abomination. But I think it was about <laughs> seventy minutes. It was about seventy minutes. I think it was four one, maybe five one. And they made some subs, and they brought on Luis Diaz. Darwin Nunes yeah. and somebody else equally terrifying and devastating. So mm. they're all right at the moment, Liverpool. I think, uh, I think yeah. you're going to get battered. Thanks, Dave. Thanks. I know you've got our back. That's great to hear. Um, but you'll beat United. Couple of tweets that made me laugh. First of all, this one from Max Rosenthal. This is objectively funny, and we just need to lean into it. <laughs> I think that's <laughs> enough, doesn't it? We just have to learn to enjoy it in some sick, hey, you know that's way. been my um, approach and, for years as a Spurs yeah. fan. That's why you wanted Embracing 10. for the soap you'd opera you'd it is. in the stands going, we want 10. Hey, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This was brilliant from Elliot Steele on Twitter. Newcastle going from relegation candidates to being in the Champions League within a season is nothing short of astonishing. Just goes to show what self-belief, a good manager, and the backing of a state that have murdered journalists and caused famines can do. Good for them. That was a nice one. I like, I like that one. Nice family-friendly tweet there. Um, right. I think... That's about as much heartbreak as I can handle for one episode before I tag on the last couple of little bits. But have we missed anything? Is there anything? Well, we've missed a lot, but is there anything that anyone feels compelled to discuss? 
or do we have any closing thoughts on the new console game or the state of affairs, to put it nicely, that is Spurs? That sounds like a no, guys. Bye-bye, Fabio. Thank you for Benton Core. Yeah, oh yeah, that, that Fabio guy. I can't wait to see what happens next. Well, you know what, Dave? I think that's actually a very good way of summing it up. Let's just try and enjoy the soap opera. It's like EastEnders <laughs> at Christmas. You it know is. what? We think this is as bad as it gets, and Levy's somewhere in his bedroom dancing in his underwear, going, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. <laughs> Thank you for putting that image in our heads. Um, right, Twitter. It's a cesspit. Don't go on there. But if you do go on there, follow us at Plus Dave Podcast. You can follow me at Plus Dave Dags. You can follow Elio at Elio underscore P underscore THFC. You can follow Dave at Fantasy Dave. But you can't follow Socks, I'm afraid. Not yet, anyway. Or not until or unless, unless Arsenal, Arsenal fail to win the league. He has promised to create a pure trolling account to go and bully heartbroken Arsenal supporting children on the internet, which we all look forward to, hopefully. As well as that, of course, uh, speaking of social media and our online presence, it gives me great pleasure to, well, I wish it was under better circumstances, but I have written a very indulgent and excessively long article that I really hoped was well-timed because it was a Spurs Newcastle themed article. So I decided to post it online in the build-up to this game, hoping to ride the hype train, not anticipating that we would get absolutely drummed and that no one would want to think about or read about football. It's actually an article about my favourite player, Elio's favourite player, many of your favourite players, and I think the reason a lot of us started really getting into Spurs in the 90s, and that is David Ginola, who of course played for both Spurs and Newcastle. Elio, I won't get you to tell me your thoughts on Ginola because you've already done so and you've sent me a snippet that I've included in the article but you can have a look on our Twitter and you can find it the article is entitled David Ginola the maverick entertainer who nearly had it all and it goes through his time in Newcastle it goes through his time at Spurs and just a general kind of summary of his career what I will do though is I can ask Elio to give us a sneak preview you know just like in the trailers they give away all the best bits before you get to see the movie if you could Elio can you please read me the excerpt that you sent me which is your first-hand account of the joy and the heartbreak as i put it of watching Ginola come and go from the stands in the 90s slash early 2000s yeah, happy to do so it'll be nice to finish talking about something i do care about uh, which <laughs> yeah. is obviously not this current spurs team so yeah from 1997 to 2000 as i entered my teenage years i sat in the west stand upper at white hart lane with a perfect view of the one reason to watch spurs david Ginola. every second half it was as though he was playing just for me riding challenges easily and lighting up a stadium that's otherwise had to endure insipid displays from a spur side lacking in any other real ability. For three years, this magician, via the Player of the Year award and our second-to-last trophy as a club, taught me what football was. He taught me that football was entertainment, that it was flair, and that it was nothing without style. He put chance after chance on a plate for strikers who didn't deserve him, and he took more kicks than any player I've seen since at Spurs. His talents belonged at Barcelona, not in N17, but I accepted this blessing gleefully. When in the summer of 2000 he was discarded by George Graham, a manager who held none of the values I've cited above, I learnt one more lesson, that with football there is no bigger heartbreak than losing the players you love the most, something which I fear I'll experience again this summer with Harry Kane. What is left is that player's legacy though, and anybody growing up in the 90s and witnessing the worst Spurs side since promotion at the end of the 70s will always at least be able to say that they saw one of the game's truest, purest entertainers up close for the best years of his career. 
brilliantly written, brilliantly read. Socks, I'm a bit disappointed. I was expecting you to stand up and applaud at the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you remember Ginola, right? Because I know you're a bit younger than us. And obviously, like we were quite young when he was playing for us. Do so you have like, My a good memory? My earliest Spurs memory is David Ginola, and it was actually against Leeds. And it was like one of the best goals never scored, where oh, he picks up the ball about 30 yards out on the right-hand sort of touchline. And he almost runs like horizontally from sideline to sideline and you're like the goal's the wrong way the goal's that way and he kind of just curves the run you might be able to find it on youtube just put ginola versus Leeds, i guess and see if anything comes up and right at the end it comes up right away yeah manages to angle himself and then inexplicably hits it with his left foot across goal and i think it was um, nigel martin in the Leeds goal just tipped it onto the post and then it hits the inside of the post and i think it kind of goes the other way it was one of the first earliest Spurs memories i have so Whilst I wasn't going to games then yeah. that regularly, he was one of the first Tottenham players. I think him, Teddy Sheringham, those are the first two Tottenham players I remember watching. And even with my sort of limited knowledge yeah. as a child, I was able to look at that and go, okay, these two are better than anything else that we have. <laughs> I'm going to naturally yeah, just kind of gravitate yeah. towards them. So Later on yeah. that game, he scored an absolutely unbelievable both feet off the ground scissor kick from outside the area, which was somehow bettered by Darren Anderson yeah. Scoring an absolute screamer from about 40 yards far out on the right wing. So, yeah, happy days as a Spurs yeah. fan back in 1999. Yeah, arguably arguably his best game for us, one might say. Um, Dave was more impressed with Nigel Martin's goalkeeping, though, to be fair. He probably could have, it could have been a, a 6 1, you know? Had there's not a, there's, been, there's a lot of chat at the moment, a, a lot of anti Melier chat in the Leeds forums at the moment. <laughs> so, we are reminiscing full power Nigel Martin at the moment, who has been voted many times as the best keeper to have played. Can imagine. I saw a list earlier that somebody decided to make of all Premier League goalkeepers in order from best to worst, and number nineteen was Melier, number twenty was Loris, <laughs> <laughs> which felt harsh until I thought about it, and I thought it's hard to argue against. So not that. a Frenchman who wrote that. Then. <laughs> no, no, clearly, clearly not. Um, also worth mentioning, actually. Speaking of long-serving left-footed Spurs legends, that might be a bit of a squeeze. Um, it is two ex-Spurs players' birthdays today. One being Ben Davies, and the other being Jan Vertonghen. Wait, Ben so Davies is an ex-Spurs player. To you. <laughs> I, I don't what know what I said. We don't know. It's, I'm tired. It's late. I'm losing track of this of this podcast already. So yeah, that was episode 69 of the Plus Dave podcast. There's definitely a joke in there, but I'm too grown up to make it. Uh, oops. Fitting for the day that Spurs f- themselves. Excellent. There it is. That's what I was going for. But yes, please join us again next week where we will probably be even more depressed and talking about how Man United have just beaten their own Premier League record and beaten us by double figures. Hopefully not, but whatever happens, we will be there. Thank you, all three of you, for joining. Thank you, all three listeners who are still listening. We hope you join us next week, and we hope that somehow Spurs continue to entertain us, whether it's through disaster or redemption. But we'll be there, and I hope you will be too. Until then, stay classy, Spurs fans. We'll see you next week.